0: This is the Business Breakfast with Oanda on Jazz FM. Online trading, currency data, money transfers market analyst craig earl good to have you in the studio this morning let's look first at markets um, we've seen already the uh, the rebound that's uh, a de-escalation in terms of iran and also those china u.s trade talks the deal ready to uh, be signed tomorrow and of course now we have um, earnings seasons kicking off um already we're seeing um that kind of a little bit of anticipation what are we looking for in this Yeah, I mean, I think earnings season's
1: going to be quite interesting, so um, the numbers that we we see from, for example, like FactSet, suggest that we are going to see another quarter of earnings decline, um, which is the fourth consecutive quarter, the first time in about four or five years that we've seen four consecutive declines. Uh, It's always worth stating that they're predicting a 2% decline in earnings, but um, these things are always more pessimistic because companies come out, they lower the bar as much as they can, they overstep the bar and then they celebrate beating expectations. Mm -hmm. It's what we see every quarter, so... It is possible that we could actually see a a, a slightly positive earnings growth uh, over the course of the quarter. We'll see over the next few weeks. But I think from a market's perspective, there's been so much disruption, there's been so much cause for concern, whether it is the trade war prior to this deal being agreed or whether it is obviously everything that we've been talking about since the start of this year. Investors are a little bit nervous about what this year potentially holds. So I think uh, an earnings season that gives people cause for optimism will certainly be well received, but stocks are already at record highs in the US.
0: Looking across um, Europe, US markets then. Is it a case of um, uh, I suppose kind of earnings being expected to be lower across the border? Or are you looking at particular sectors which are doing better or worse?
1: Yeah there's always sectors which are doing better and worse. For example energy has had a, a bad year but again that just moves with fluctuations in oil prices right. If oil's trading at $70 they tend to have a good year. If it's trading at 45 to 50 then they tend to have a bad year. So uh, uh, energy's expected uh, earnings growth of minus 30 odd percent I mean but there's it's not nothing catastrophic. Next year will be plus 40 odd percent it means it's just one of those things um financials are generally the the so your banks the, the they tend to be the the areas where they just tend to rock on and just do quite well. There they, they doesn't seem to be anything that holds them back, so a slowdown in the economy yes, it, it does have a negative impact on the overall PL, but we're talking about firms that produce revenue in the billions of pounds, sure. uh, or billions of dollars as it were, so yes we are going to see them pared back ever so slightly, as we've seen in recent quarters, uh, the rate cuts that we've seen in the US don't help that uh, when interest rates are higher, their margins t- will be higher as a result because they're measured off of off of interest rates, so when interest rates are cut three times at three executive meetings, then that poses a risk to the their, their ongoing profitability. But they we're still talking, like I say, we're still talking strong revenue growth of above 7%, I think it is, for financials. So, yeah, within this, uh, you, you do see winners and losers, but um, ultimately you're just looking at the overall trend, and the overall trend for the last year has been uh, relatively negative.
0: Tomorrow, we'll have the signing of the phase one talks between uh, the US and China. Regardless of even getting to phase two, the more comprehensive and complex uh, Um, negotiations. Are you expecting any kind of um, boost from even just being able to see the document that we'll be talking about?
1: Yeah, that that's been the interesting thing to this point. While the translation's been happening, there's been no de- there's been very few details released about what it's going to contain. Everyone's talked about more agricultural purchases for China. Now, in the relatively few hours I've been awake so far, I have seen the suggestions that uh, a South China Morning Post article has alluded to a few more details about what's contained within the agreement. And I think the surprising thing, especially given the source that it's come from, it does seem to be very U.S. heavy. So this could potentially, at least uh, at the very least, uh, be 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 shown to be a massive win for Trump and the US. Uh, what we're talking about, it's not just agricultural purchases, it is about services purchases, it is about um, other purchases of US manufactured goods etc. Um, uh, and also agreements on intellectual property uh, and, and things like that. But then also there is it, there was something I saw earlier about the provision for the US to impose unilateral tariffs. So, I mean, I'm wondering what China has gained from this. It can't just be tariff rollbacks. Um, there has to be more to it. And I'm sure when the details are released we'll learn more over the coming days because We've seen this so many times in the past when something—I mean, it's the old adage, right? If something seems too good to be true, it probably is. Yes, and this seems to be find yeah, exactly, exactly. And this seems to be too good to be true for the U.S. at this moment in time. Like I said, the surprising thing is the source um, is is where you would expect it to show the positives for China. But again, well, I mean, like I said, I've been up relatively few hours at this point. I'm sure I'll find uh, I'll, I'll read a lot more over the next few hours.
0: And in terms of the optimism, in terms of the wins for Trump, how much of this uh, is things that? Are going to be new, and how much are things which either Trump himself has inflicted? So I'm thinking those tariffs, etc., um, the the lifting of the uh, label of currency manipulator mm-hmm. on China, etc., and how much is how much are things that China was already in the process of doing, opening up its market, working more closely with uh, the U.S. and other Western uh, markets? I suppose how much of this is actually changing the course of things which were already taking place?
1: I'd say there's probably a bit of both going on to be quite honest Trump always, Trump always vowed uh, in his campaign to label China a currency manipulator but waited till August un- uh, until August to do so that suggests that there was relatively little cause for actually labelling man- a currency manipulator and it was eventually used as a political tool to try and push these negotiations along um, uh, and now that's been lifted already so we're talking four months after the actual labelling they've lifted that so he can now go into a campaign saying I promised to label them a manip- manipulator and I forced them to change their practice will we ever know exactly how much they're changing their practices and what's being given over, probably not, so it's kind of an arbitrary thing to measure. Um, in terms of purchase, again, it's that's something that's a bit easier to measure, but nothing we've actually seen any evidence of so far. We've talked, we've seen deals that have seemed to have been made before, not as part of this broader agreement about China promising to buy more soybeans, etc. But they, I'm not sure they've actually ever followed through on these purchases. So that it always sounds good when the deal's agreed. So again, that's something we'll have to wait a year or two to measure and that comes after the election ultimately. Mm. Um, but things on things I like Force Technology transfer uh, and things like that. I think this is the most important thing actually. Trump wants to uh, to, to get his manufacturing base supporting him going into this election. He, they were a key component of what won him the election four years ago. Um, so that's going to be important and that's why this part of the deal is, is important. But from from Trump's team's perspective from the China hawks within his department it is forced technology transfer it is intellectual property. These are the real core components um, of this deal and again we'll learn more about this. And I do think China's probably heading down that route already but that doesn't mean they've not been given a little bit of a, a nudge forward by these negotiations and uh, i think that comes not just to the benefit of the u.s i think europe's probably going to be watching this very closely thinking what can we gain from this as well
0: craig at the beginning of this week we um heard that Flybe, which had been struggling for some time this is the uh, the uk and indeed europe's largest domestic airline um based down in devon um they have uh, turned now to the government um, regarding rescue plans. And now, overnight, we learned that potentially the government is considering cutting air passenger duty altogether in a bid to actually be able to save the um, firm to allow them to uh, essentially defer payments without obviously helping one. Business at the cost of the entire industry. Um, obviously, this is would it be good to save that um, firm in terms of the 2,000 jobs, others in the supply chain, but also this is quite a large um, potential change in terms of how the UK does transport and tax policy, and I suppose also in terms of how businesses are interacting with government.
1: Yeah, and it, I mean, when we t- we've talked about many businesses over the course of the last twelve months, we will be asking the question: Well, where was our support? Where 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 was the efforts made to try and stop us collapsing? But obviously, this is a very this is a different government, um, and this is a, I think every case is unique. It is interesting that they are looking at ways to try and get around saving this company. Obviously, as you mentioned earlier, the state aid um, rules mean that they can't just defer that one tax payment and uh, almost um, almost show preferential treatment towards Flybe. So these rules that changing now is to try and protect Flybe, but also to the benefit of the overall industry. But I think the really interesting thing here is, obviously, we're talking a lot about climate right now. We're talking about the bushfires in Australia uh, and how the, the the targets which are being set uh, on climate, um, carbon-free by, nutri- by 2050, um, is almost not aggressive enough and we need to be doing more. And at the same time, we're reducing duties uh, on, on internal flights which people could effectively be getting trains and everything if the infrastructure was better so there's the real big uh, conundrum
0: here for the government yes this is going to be the problem isn't it so Flybe have always argued that they are unfairly discriminated against in terms of um, air passenger duty because you pay it whenever you take off <laughs> from a UK airport so £13 one way £13 the other way rather than if I'm flying out to Malaga etc yeah. only one way um, I suppose, though, this ties in with other ways that the uh, government has works in perhaps non-green ways. I'm thinking of the long-term freezing of um, fuel duty. That's another industry where you could argue climate change um, considerations would suggest put that tax up.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the problem that the UK has is they would put that tax up. You would have thought if there was a viable alternative uh, a solution, and if the infrastructure elsewhere was up to scratch. But the problem is we've spent so many years discussing the pros and cons of things like HS2 and other and, and other networks to kind of improve travel, which is which is greener, which is um, le- which helps the, the our carbon footprint. That we we the, the the viable alternative just isn't there. You can speak to people on an almost daily basis, and you can see people who are making these. Short domestic flights, which could easily be done by train, but unfortunately they are a third of the price, uh, and they do simplify the journey. So until you can actually compete and say, well, actually we can compete on price and also make the journey easier, and it reduces the carbon footprint, people are going to continue to take flights, and that's why there is a, such a strong business case for Flybe. Unfortunately, you're now creating you're now creating a situation where, in which to protect Flybe to create these to, to protect these two thousand jobs, you're making it even cheaper again for uh, for domestic travel and you're effectively incentivising flying over trains. So it really is. It, it, we've, we've reached a point now, everyone knows our infrastructure in the UK just isn't good enough for domestic travel, so we need to see an improvement. I'm not confident that it's actually going to happen, but I mean, this. this I think this story, the, the government's backed into a tough position, and you could argue for the sake of 2,000 jobs and for the sake of a domestic operator that's unfairly treated to an extent compared to those operators who do fly abroad, that this is morally almost a good decision and the correct decision but it does also highlight the fact that you you are backed into a a corner which we shouldn't be seeing backed into and there needs to be a broader look at why they are being forced to make a decision which goes against our climate objectives
0: Well sure, it also sets a precedent if you're willing to scrap a tax to save a company, there's a lot of companies that down the road would say "Well, there are a few taxes we could do with scrapping Business rates, cutting a couple of billion um, pounds ahead of then talking about a new Budgets and massive infrastructure investment around the UK. I would imagine that uh, the Chancellor is not going to be terribly happy about this either.
1: No, he's not. I mean, we're talking about we're talking about uh, the these duties do raise billions of pounds uh, a year. So I mean, we're not we're not talking about um, a small cut here. So all it, it, it does seem to be this situation where every uh, every morning almost, Sajid Javid is waking up and going, Boris is promised? What? <laughs> I mean, how am I meant to find the money for this? Um, so it's it's, it's it's very difficult and like I said, we're going to have to wait for the budget in March to actually mm. find out what their actual plans sure. are in terms and, of these spending.
0: And of course, this isn't a promise. This is just something that is a, is being briefed overnight mm-hmm. as a potential. So uh, we'll continue to uh, watch this space. Greg, before I let you go, we had GDP figures for November out uh, yesterday. We've also got more indications that a rate cut is coming from the Bank of England. Tie that together for me.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very bizarre to be honest. I mean, the data, that we had yesterday was all for November and the analogy which I used is uh, running a check of the UK economy for November given the timing, the proximity to Brexit the proximity to the election is like going to your doctor for a health check on January the 1st it's it's a bit unfair it's not going to give you a true representation of where the economy actually is so we've got to and wait for that's
0: more. That's exactly what the Bank of England's members of the MPC MP- seem to be trying to do which is take one of those health checks and spin out an entire pivot on where rate cuts um, could potentially be coming from.
1: Exactly. And I, to be honest, I disagree with the fact that we need a rate cut at this point. I think we need to see how the economy now pans out over the next few months before we start to make decisions like that. They do seem to be jumping on this weaker data, which we are having. The one thing I will say in their favour is the fact there's been so much uncertainty because of Brexit and, pol- the, uh, and the political uh, landscape over the course of last year. The, the Bank of England's felt like they've got no choice but to just stamp out and just do nothing because they don't know what the outlook truly is. And therefore they've fallen behind the curve. A lot of central banks last year cut interest rates and the Bank of England clearly felt like they were unable to because they would be cutting in the dark and therefore they would be reducing the amount of ammunition they would need if no-deal Brexit did materialise. So maybe they're trying. They're looking, policymakers now standing back going, right now we need to play a little bit of catch-up. I don't really think the economy actually needs it. I think the economy is going to get a bit of a boost this year just by the fact that some of that uncertainty has been removed. And I think once the data does start to improve over the next couple of months, maybe policymakers will take a step back as well. But the warnings that we are being given by policymakers right now are that a rate cut is imminent. But from my perspective, what's the point? What is a 25 basis point cut in interest rates actually going to do to try and stimulate the economy when interest rates are already so low? This is, we are in pushing on a string territory. Um, and therefore, I, I think the the best thing that the Bank of England can do right now is sit part for a stump out for the next three to six months, see how things start to, if things start to improve and should. Things deteriorate more, then yes, by all means, coin rates stimulate the economy. But right now, I think it would be a
0: bad move. Greg Erler, market analyst at Oanda, thank you very much indeed. The Business Breakfast with Oanda on Jazz FM, online trading, currency data, money transfers.